to 34. Reading from Luke 12, beginning of verse 22. These are the words of Jesus. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, heaven, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray, shall we? Father, these uh, familiar words to us. We, um, we've been in church for any period of time. We would have heard these words spoken, preached on. Because they are so familiar to many of us, Lord, it's easy to miss what you're really saying to us today. We pray, Lord, this morning that you might open our eyes afresh. Help us to see that as we are your children and you are our Heavenly Father, that we can indeed trust you for all of life. Help us to see this morning through this passage areas in our lives where, Lord, we may be perhaps um, not living according to your word. Because when we are outside of your word, living outside of the way you've called us to live, we often find that those are the times where we really struggle. Help us indeed this morning to be led into the paths of righteousness. Step into your ways and find joy and hope and fulfilment. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in an anxiety-ridden society, don't we? It's estimated that nearly 45% of Australians at some point or another are affected by chronic anxiety or depression. That's almost one in two people. We're quickly becoming a nation of warriors. We worry about all kinds of things. We worry about things like our image, how people will see us. We worry about things like our health, our financial situation, our work, our education. We worry about our stuff, 
whether or not we've got enough and how we go about protecting it. We can worry about our families. We can worry about our world situation. We can worry about our futures. We can worry about how much we worry. I don't think this is working, mate. I've got it on and nothing seems to be happening, so, all right? You know, no two words cause more anxiety than the words, what if? What if? And for many of us, we live in a world, we live in that world of what if, don't we? And subsequently, we live in a state of anxiety. For many of us, being anxious is just a part of everyday life. It's just normal. And that's why the opening words of Jesus in this passage seem, I don't know, a little bit jarring and, and in some ways a little bit unrealistic to many of us. Where he says, Therefore I tell you, he's speaking to his followers, his disciples. He says, do not be anxious about your life. Anyone anxious about their life this morning? I guarantee you that the vast majority of us sitting here in these seats, in these pews this morning, all of us have a degree of things that we're anxious about and worrying about and stressing about. Jesus says, as his followers, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I think we've skipped through a couple there. If you just want to uh, run it from your end, mate, because it's, oh, there we go, we're right. We are, we're going. There we are, the what if. We pick up our Bibles we read these words. I, you might have a uh, Bible like mine. I've got a, what's called a red letter edition, which means the words of Jesus are in red. And we read these particular accounts of Jesus in the Gospels. And we think, yep, Jesus is saying this to his disciples, but we kind of see it in the context of, well, that's what Jesus was saying to that band of people that were around him in, in his day. You know, nearly two thousand, some two thousand years ago, and he's telling those people, "Don't worry." But the reality is, is that as the word of God to us, these are Jesus's words to you and me today. It's like you and I were there, sitting on that hillside with him amongst that great big throng of people but but up close because we're the ones who have, have made a, a commitment of faith to jesus so we're we're closer to jesus we've chosen to walk that path that he has called us to that path where he says anyone who will come after me must deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me we've take we've chosen that path These words that we read on this page in our Bibles today or on our phone or wherever we read the scriptures, Jesus is saying these words to us, to you and to me in our context, in our day and age, in all of the stuff that's going on in our lives right now, Jesus is saying this to us. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So I was preparing this message this week and I was contemplating those words. The first words that came to mind were this. Are you serious, Jesus? How can you say words like that when I think about all the stuff that's going on in my life, in, in your life, in the life of in, in the lives of people in our world today. Jesus, are you kind of living in, in some kind of world which is so far apart from the world we're living in? Some people actually think that the translators actually got it wrong, the people who translated the Bible from the original language got it wrong. In fact, that Jesus isn't really saying that at all. 
I'm sorry, but if he's not saying that, what is he saying? The fact of the matter is, is that these words are written in, in, a, in a style of, of command. They are in what's called the imperative. So Jesus is saying, in a command-like fashion to his followers, stop worrying and don't continue to worry. Don't worry now and don't worry in the future. We think, boy, how do you do that? How do you do that? Mind you, I think deep down all of us would dearly love to remove that underlying anxiety from our lives, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we love to be free of that? We try all kinds of things to manage our anxiety and our worry, to get rid of them and to lessen their effect and their effects on our lives. More people today are going to counselling than probably ever before in the history of all mankind. We've resorted to medication, to drugs, to alcohol, to shopping, to TV, to chocolate. Jesus knows all the stuff that is going on in our lives right now and all the stuff we're worrying about. It's as like he was sitting next to you in your pew this morning having a conversation with you. Jesus, the reason, or he kind of explains why it is that we get anxious in our lives. And we pick it up from our passage this morning. Because as I said, he certainly knows all the stuff that's, that causes us our worry and anxiety. And the reason he tells us not to be anxious is firstly because anxiety results from an incorrect view of life. Look at verse 23. It says, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Now in Jesus' day, many of the people lived hand to mouth. Lived hand to mouth. In fact, his disciples had left everything to follow him. They'd left jobs. They'd left families. They'd left all they'd known to follow Jesus. You were here last week, you were seeing that just prior to, to, to saying this to the people, he had just given a parable, Pastor Dale preached on it last week, a parable of a guy called, called by the scriptures, as, or referred to as the rich fool. And Jesus makes it clear that we should not seek to store up treasures on earth because he says life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You can imagine the disciples processing this and thinking, well, you know, that's all well and good, but hey, we've got to eat. We need clothes to wear. We need a roof over our heads. We need some kind of financial security for the future. How are we going to get these things if we're not like the rich man who's kind of just trying to gather stuff? In other passages of scripture, we read that we're to be diligent and hard working. Because, like, when, when you hear a parable like the parable of the rich fool, and Jesus says, you know, don't be like this guy, you know, but actually store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, you know, be rich towards God. 
And then he says to his disciples, he says, don't worry about, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll, what you'll put on, that sort of stuff. You think that the mental processes of people have got to be quite, well, okay, we're not meant to, to you know, worry about the stuff that we, you know, the, 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 the day-to-day stuff and we're not meant to be building bigger barns and stuff like that and, and you know, pulling stuff towards ourselves. Some people have actually taken that to mean, well, okay, well, we just don't worry about it. We just, you know, just go from, uh, from day to day and we'll just worry and we'll just let God provide for us in that regard. You know, we don't have to, don't have to make any effort or anything like that. We'll just have people who'll, uh, you know, who'll, um, you know, give us stuff and, and things like that. Sadly, that's how many people have actually understood these words. And sadly, in churches today, we see people like that. They're lazy. They think that God owes them stuff and that the people around them owe them stuff. And so they'll just sit there and they'll just rely on others and they'll just suck out their life out of other people without giving back. That's not what God is saying here. As I said, scriptures remind us that we are to be diligent and hardworking, which will provide for ourselves and our families. Look at Proverbs chapter 6 for a minute. The writer of Proverbs here says, well, uses another example from nature. Jesus in a minute is going to speak of birds and, and flowers. Here, the writer of Proverbs speaks about ants. And it's a kind of an illustration of how we are to go about working and providing for ourselves. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard. That's O sluggard, by the way, is a really lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise. Without ever having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So in other words, the scripture is reminding us there that you know, we shouldn't be lazy people. We should take you know, note of the fact that we should be working hard. We should be putting in the effort. We should be trying to uh, you know, provide for ourselves and be wise with those resources we have. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance but everyone who is hasty and, and, and lazy comes only to poverty in the new testament ephesians 4 says let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need the bible actually holds up a really good work ethic The Bible really speaks about the value of work. So when Jesus says that we're not to worry about what we eat and what we what we'll wear and that life is more than food and clothing, he's saying that we, you know, it's not about not giving these things any thought at all, but what he's essentially saying is that these things should not become our sole preoccupation in life. So yes, life doesn't consist in the abundance of stuff. We are to be diligent and hardworking, but the pursuit of material things should not become that which we just get so engrossed and focused on. And sadly, for many people today, life is all about that, isn't it? It's about the acquisition of stuff and living for the here and now. And sadly, many followers of Jesus are just like that. And when we live in this way, we become just like the rich fool. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to get our priorities straight. There are more important things to life than just material things. You know, as... As followers of Jesus, 
Remember in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, uh, Paul writes and he says that we have become new creations. Do you remember that? You ever read that before? That we have become new creations in Christ. That actually speaks of the fact that God has actually made us and redeemed us for a higher purpose as his people. We have been saved and redeemed and brought into God's family for a higher purpose. And because God has this higher purpose for us, we can be guaranteed that he will make sure that he sustains us for that purpose and in that purpose. You know, we shouldn't get so worked up about stuff that it really captivates our hearts. Verse 34 says, For where your treasure is there will your heart be also. We'll come back to that in a minute, but basically what that's saying is, you know what, wherever thing, the, the things that you value most in your life, that's what your heart will follow after. That's where your heart will be entrenched. The more the, our stuff means to us, the more it means to us, the more we will stress over it. And when we live in this way, what we do is we effectively place these things in the position of God in our lives. And so we effectively become idolaters because we worship the created rather than the creator. They become the focus of our worship. So if we're worrying about all these things, Jesus says maybe one of the reasons we're worrying is because we've actually got an incorrect view of life. We've lost sight of what's really important. But anxiety also results from an incorrect view of God. Verses 24 to 28. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus is using some examples here from nature to help us to see that just as God cares for the birds, the ravens, and in, you know, ravens were common. You know how common crows are today around the place? There's crows everywhere. Crows don't have a really particularly good reputation. I don't know of any people who actually have a crow in a cage in their home. They like the other pretty birds, the little pretty parrots and things like that. In Jesus' day, the ravens particularly were an unclean bird because they actually fed on carrion. They fed on dead material. This ugly, unclean bird like a raven, God cares for. How much more value are you than a crow? What about the lilies of the fields? Talking about the wildflowers. Those flowers that just spring up, you know, they're, just, they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. Then sort of Jesus refers to them like grass. Grass is kind of gathered up, you know, they, they bloom for a day or two and then all of a sudden the, the flowers wither away and they're just left this, 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 this grassy kind of matter which is then just gathered up and thrown into the fire to sort of get fire started and increase the heat in the fire. He says these flowers, there's such beauty about them. Who's ever gone and had a look at the wildflowers anywhere in Australia or different parts of the world? Anyone? 
There's a few of you. You, you are game enough to put your hand up. All right? Why do you go and look at these flowers? They're magnificent, aren't they? They're absolutely ma majestic, these flowers and all their beauty and splendour. And our Creator has made them. And he says that, you know, even Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, even him with all of his wealth and all of his resources and that sort of stuff, even he wasn't arrayed in any kind of splendour that compared with the beauty and the, the majesty of these wildflowers that are here today and the next minute they're thrown in the oven just to, you know, just to cook with. How much more value are you than grass? He says, consider, consider how God cares for these things. And then remember and consider how, how much valuable God sees us as his children. And if God cares for the lesser, then surely he is going to be, he is going to look after and care for that which is of more importance and significance. Us. See, worrying and being anxious points to a lack of trust in God and his promises. Points to a lack of trust in God as provider and in God who has promised to, to care for us. More than that, it's beyond a lack of trust to actually a lack of belief in God. It makes us functionally unbelievers to worry. Jesus is saying that our Father knows what we need and promises to make sure that we have all that we need. I think one of the difficulties we have, though, is this, is that we confuse our needs and our wants. We live in such affluence today. We're surrounded by it. And we see stuff and we see the stuff that other people have and we convince ourselves that we need what they have. When actually it's only that we want what they have. We convince ourselves that something we want is indeed something that we really, really and desperately need. Now, I don't know if you heard, there was a 15-year-old girl in the US a little while ago, going back a couple of months now. She went on Dr. Phil with her mum. Now, I don't watch Dr. Phil, I only read this news report, but uh, some of you know who Dr. Phil is. He's on TV over a daytime, daytime TV, tries to solve all these people's problems. They go on the show and, uh, and he sort of tries to give them sort of counselling and stuff like that. This, this daughter and her mum went on Dr. Phil's show because this daughter had an issue with her mum. She had cut her monthly allowance from 5,000 US to 1,000 US a month. She claimed that she could not possibly live. By the way, she's a 15-year-old girl, this is could not possibly live on $1,000 a month. And then she said, and on top of that, she said, my mum thinks that a Mercedes C-Class is the car that she wants to buy me, but yet I need a car that is much better than that. can't remember what sort of kind, kind of car she wanted now. I need this particular car. This Mercedes C-Class just won't cut it. Now, it's ridiculous, isn't it? When we analyse the stuff that we have at the core of our hearts that we go after and we convince ourselves that we need it when in actual fact they're just wants, and God kind of sees us a little bit like the 15-year-old girl. Let me ask you this. Do you have food to eat each day? 
Do you have clothes that you can go to your wardrobe and put on of a morning? Obviously you have because you're here dressed. <laughs> Do you have a roof over your head? If you have those three things, oh, the other thing is, do you have access to, 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 to running fresh water? Then if you have all of those things, you actually are in the top 5% of rich people in, all the, in the whole world. The top 5%. Realistically, we have all that we need. Most importantly, though, we have a God who loves us. A God who has done everything in order to save us from our sin. A God who has given us a hope and a future. A God who has given us his indwelling Holy Spirit so that he is with us at all times. A God who has placed us in a family of believers. A family who are meant to care and support for one another. If you're a little bit unsure of how the, the, the family of God should work, can I direct your attention at some point or another, you know, whether it be today or in the next couple of days or so, to go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and then Acts chapter 4. It speaks about what the family of believers was like back in the first century, about how they prayed with one another, how they worshipped with one another, how they fellowship with one another, how they sold their possessions in order to provide for one another. Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says that he learned how to be content in all circumstances. And I think, folks, that is a lesson that you and I, as followers of Jesus today, need to learn. We need to learn how to be content in all circumstances. Whether having much or having little. See, the Apostle Paul will look to God and trust in him. In chapter, in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 13, he says, I can do all things. I can cope with all things in life through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was looking at Christ first and foremost. He looked to God and trusted in him. And then in verse 19, a few verses later, he can confidently say that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Supply every need. The only way Paul can say that is because he's actually proven it in his own life. Proven it. In this auditorium today are a group of people with stories of how God has worked in each of our lives. Every single one of you has a story. If you put your trust in God, you've got a story about how God has worked in your life. And I bet you I can guarantee that every single one of us here have got a story of how God has met a need that we have had. service is over, you're out there having your cup of tea or something like that, how about you share that story with someone else and encourage them in that God has met our needs the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 8 says you know you can cast all your cares 
your worries, your anxieties on him. Why? Because he indeed cares for you. When you become a child of God, you can trust him to meet all your needs. And sometimes you may have a lot and sometimes you may have a little. But with God, you always have enough. With God, you will always have enough. Now, anxiety assumes that we're the ones in control. Newsflash, we are not God. Jesus says as much in this passage when he says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? saying to his followers, he says, guys, think about it. You can't change that. You can't add, you know, just a, a minute to your span of life. So, you know, why do you think worrying is, thinks, you know, worrying thinks automatically that we, we can control stuff, that if we worry about it, we can fix it. We can change it. Anxiety assumes that we are the ones in control. That's not working again, though, mate. Worrying suggests that very thing. That worrying, unless you haven't realised it already, worrying is futile. Just like for you Trekkies, resistance is futile, yep. All right, that's for the Star Trek fans out there, okay. Some of you, that's just gone way over here. Worrying is futile. One guy once said that worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. It's true, isn't it? Another thing that Jesus says about anxiety is it makes us just like unbelievers. Verses 29 to 30. And do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things. That word nations there is talking specifically about people who do not follow God, the pagans of Jesus' day. All the people today who do not believe in God, who do not even give God a second thought, they're going after all this stuff today. If, if that's the, our focus in life, then we're just being exactly like unbelievers. It makes us no different from them, and therefore, what it does effectively is it undermines our witness for God as his followers. By worrying, we're sending out the message that God cannot be trusted, that God doesn't take care of us, and that ultimately, Worry will rob us of our joy in the Lord. Something to think about, isn't it? Died in your life in that kind of frame, in that kind of mindset before? That it makes us just like unbelievers and it undermines our witness for God? Last few verses, Jesus gives us the secret to to knowing how not to be anxious. He points firstly to our privilege. He says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. We are God's flock. And it is his good pleasure to give us, his, give us the kingdom, it says in verse 32. So I was pondering on that little, word, that little term, flock, during the week. The passage that immediately came to mind was Psalm 23. It begins with these words. The Lord, that word Lord is in capital, speaking of God, that, that, that personal name of God. The Lord is what? My shepherd. If that makes God our shepherd, what does that make us? 
his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. Look at verse 32 again. Fear not. Beautiful picture. He looks on us and he says, Fear not, my little flock. You who are precious to me. You whom I have laid down my life for in order to bring you to myself. Fear not. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you've got a pen with you, I want you to underline that verse or highlight it or whatever. That you find yourself being anxious or worrying about something in your life, I want you to turn to that verse and be reminded, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's. That word your is an emphatic there, is a real emphasis on the fact that he is yours, a sense of ownership. He is your father. And it is his delight to give you the kingdom. God is our Father. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 to 11, speaking of contrasting us as, as fathers or you know, looking after our own, our own uh, children and families. With, with contrasting us with God, it says, which one of you, if his son or if his child asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If you see the needs of your children, you yourself want to do whatever you can in order to help meet that need. If, 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 if your child is hungry and asks for bread, you're not going to give him a, a, a hunk of rock to chew on. If he asks for a fish, you'll give him a serpent or a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? That is what God is like. And it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. The Father delights to give us this great gift, not because we are so good, but because he is good. And his goodness has resulted in us being brought into his family, being joined in union with his son, an eternal, unbreakable union, that guarantees us that we are eternally co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 15 to 17 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. See, when we remember our privilege as a children of God, 
and that what God has promised us, then we can have a different perspective with regards to what's really important. We can seek God's kingdom instead of our own. And that's one of the secrets to overcoming anxiety is to have this different perspective, to seek after the kingdom of God. By the way, when we read those words, seek his kingdom, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I don't know what you understand by that, you know, seeking after God's kingdom, whether or not it's kind of like this, yeah, I don't know what, 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 what you think it is, but can I just say, tell you that what the Bible means, means by it? It's this, that if we're going to seek after God's kingdom, it means that we are actually going to put God's rule first in our lives. That's what it means, Sim- really simple. So we're actually going to align our lives and everything about our lives with God's rule and authority. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God is. And God says when we do that, then he'll take care of the rest. Keep an eternal perspective. And the other thing is look to the needs of others. Jesus says that when you know that God has given you all this stuff, then you'll be free to sell your possessions and give to the needy. And through this, you'll be providing yourselves with money bags that don't grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Here's another key to overcoming anxiety. Look outwards instead of inwards. We seek to invest ourselves in the lives of others and be used by God as a channel of blessing to them. God says that's how we store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. I ask you this this morning. What are you worrying about? What are you worrying about in your life today? And what does that worry, in the light of what we learned today, what does that worry then say about how you view life? What's important? And what does it say about how you view God? Challenging, isn't it? Let's remember afresh this morning who God is, his character and his promises and maybe let's take an opportunity this morning to repent where we need to and ask God to help us to treasure what's really worthwhile to have our minds focused on the right things amen Amen. I'm going to pray and then we're going to come together around the communion table I invite you to the stewards to come forward as we prepare for that Precious God, you are indeed the searcher of our hearts. You know everything about us. There is nothing we can keep hidden from you. And right here and right now, you know all of those things that we are anxious about, that we are worrying about. That's causing us sleepless nights that's causing us that knot in our stomachs that's causing us to lose sight of the joy of the Lord in our lives help us this morning have our vision instead filled with that stuff that we're anxious about have our vision filled with a picture of you as our father as the one who holds all things in his hands as the one 
who there is nothing that is impossible for. As the one who loves us with a love around your communion table this morning Lord help us to be reminded afresh of who you are and of the extent of your love shown to us through your son the Lord Jesus Christ and as we reflect on those words that it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom that that has come about only through Christ giving himself for us we only have access to these things because of Jesus. So let us look always to him. We ask it. Humbly. But we also ask it boldly. Because you've promised to do it. I'm going to hand out the elements. I invite you to take the bread. The bread, think of it this morning as a symbol of God's provision. Just a small token of provision. You know the bread, it sustains us. Receive it in the knowledge that God will sustain you. And then the cup. I want you to hold it that we might all drink together in fellowship this morning. And when we do that, as we, as we drink of the cup together, we, we drink remembering that the kingdom, although it is here and now, in its, it, it, we're going to see it one day in all its fullness. That's the hope that we look forward to. That's what the cup reminds us of today as well.